Hello and welcome to the Star Wars Saga Cast. My name is John Wilson and this is episode 8 of the show where I'll be taking a look at the final chapter of the Star Wars film adaptation from Marvel Comics. You know, it's been a long road getting from there to here. It's been a long time, but my time is fine. Wait, that's the wrong Star franchise. Sorry about that. Um, Okay, but before we get into Star Wars 6, I have a little story to tell. I have two children. One is 12. You met her on the film commentary. And one is five. You heard him a bit on the film commentary as well. Keenan, the five-year-old boy, had not yet seen The Empire Strikes Back until today. So today was the day that he learned that Darth Vader was Luke Skywalker's father. Now, he and I have talked about the mythology as it was understood in the first film, and I had teased that Darth Vader had a big, scary, sad secret to tell Luke at the end of the movie, but he had no idea what it was going to be. He had no clue, and whenever he actually got to see it, he was just dumbfounded and kind of in a little bit of denial, actually. He, he did not like that information. So, yes, just one of the joys of geek parenting. I love it. So today, Star Wars Issue 6 has a cover of... We again have like two different things going on on the cover like we've had in past issues. In the background is a big space battle with Y-Wing and an X-Wing and several TIE fighters and explosions. In the foreground are Darth Vader and Luke Skywalker in a lightsaber battle with Leia on the floor... Like someone's about to attack her. And this is all happening on sort of like day glow disco platform or something. I don't know. It's all like red and pink and stripey and hexagonal. It's just it's just kind of trippy, actually. Very, um, very 70s, I guess, in the color scheme they chose there. The captions say, at last, the soul shattering climax of the year's best movie. See Luke Skywalker battle Darth Vader. Today you die, Luke Skywalker. This is your final battle. And I guess it's worth pointing out that (laughs) nothing like this happens at all in this film. There is no fight between Luke Skywalker and Darth Vader. There's no lightsaber duel. That is totally made up for the sake of selling comics. So, yes, we can blame or thank, whichever you prefer, the marketing ideas of the artist and what would best appeal this comic. I guess because maybe a picture of a bunch of X-Wings and Y-Wings shooting up a Death Star isn't dramatic enough. I don't know. But when we open the comic, we do have the Death Star and the X-Wings shooting it up right there on the big splash page. Stanley presents Star Wars, the greatest space fantasy of all, based on the film by George Lucas, released by 20th Century Fox. Is this the final chapter? Is the title of the story. And we have Roy Thomas as the writer and editor. Howard Chaykin is the artist and storyteller. Rick Hoberg and Bill Ray are the embellishers. Patty is the colorist. 
Lay and Royer are the letterers, and Archie Goodwin is the consulting editor. 30 minutes. That's how long the main rebel base has. Before the Death Star, gigantic battle station of the Galactic Empire, will be in a position to destroy it. Now, like angry mosquitoes, the rebel fighters streak upward from their hidden hangars on the fourth moon of Yavin to attack a technological terror whose firepower dwarfs that of even the Imperial Warfleet. Nice little, um... Nice little inclusion of some of the dialogue from the film into the narration here, sort of integrating it all together. Pretty neat little intro as they're flying toward it to do their runs. Somewhere among all these X-Wing fighters is Luke Skywalker. They all spread their their X-Wings or their S-Foils of the X-Wings. I don't know why they're S-Foils of the X-Wings. Should they be X-Foils? I don't know. But they spread them out so that the X-Wings can actually live up to their name. The blue team gathers together with... Um, let's see. Number two is Wedge. Number three is Biggs. I don't know who number four is. Number five, I believe, is Luke. And number six is somebody else. Maybe Porkins. And I just have to say the art in this issue so far, the faces and the, the, the fighters in space have all been beautiful. The inkers that are going over Howard Chaikin's pencils, uh, Rick Hoberg and Bill Ray, are doing an excellent job making this look nice and realistic and and three-dimensional, and it's just looking great. So the narration recaps us on the fact that there's a small thermal exhaust port that they're going to try to hit to get into the actual reactor system. We have a scene of people inside the Death Star mocking them. The fools! Don't they realize this battle station is now the ultimate power in the universe? What chance do a few X-Wing fighters have against us? They're mad. That's what they are. Why aren't they simply defending themselves on Yavin's fourth moon as we expected? No, man. We'll blast them right out of the sky. So, yes. Little, uh... A little socializing among the Death Stars to help catch us up on what's going on. In case you just picked up this issue, you now are fully aware of what's going on. Now, so far, there has been no mention of any other squadrons. All we have is the blue group of the X-Wing fighters. Luke says he's going in. He soars toward the ship. Blaster's going. But there's lots of explosions and red smoke and heat. And he almost gets singed, but he is able to pull out in time. One of the officers reports to the Lord Vader that he sees 30 rebel ships out there, but they're so small they're evading the turbo lasers, so Darth Vader decides that they're going to have to get out there and take care of this personally. This station is not designed to do battle with such puny, insignificant spacecraft, and that could be its fatal flaw. We'll have to destroy the rebels, ship to ship. Yes, Lord Vader. Froom! Another hit. The rebels are good. Too good to take any chances with. Prepare my own personal ship. Yes, my lord. And so we have several TIE fighters going out, including Darth Vader's own personal fighter. While all this is happening, the Rebel War Room is monitoring everything. And they notify, attention squad leaders, we picked up a new group of signals, enemy fighters coming your way. While Luke Skywalker is flying, he reminds us that there are other characters in this story who haven't been seen yet. I'd feel better if Han Solo and Chewbacca were here. But Han got his reward for helping save the princess, and that's all he seems to... (gasps) Biggs! And while he's thinking about that, we get little headshots, little floating heads, floating heads of affection of Han and Chewie. Of course, he shot it for Biggs because Biggs has a TIE fighter on his tail and Luke helps get rid of it. There continues to be a lot of shooty patootie and ditching and diving on the rebel fighters. Wedge goes to Luke Skywalker's rescue by taking a fighter off of his tail, but then Blue Six is hit, tries to eject, but he can't. He goes down. And that is Lieutenant Tono Porkins. 
Biggs has fought beside Lieutenant Tono Porkins for long weeks and months, and he knows suddenly what it means to lose a friend. So long, Piggy. You will be avenged. Wait. So the book called him Piggy once, and then it called him Porkins several times after that. So it looks like Porkins's nickname was Piggy. So not only does he have an unfortunate last name to go along with his body type, but now we're going to call him Piggy as well. God, I, guess, I, I hope that means that he was just owning it, because it seems kind of terrible to just call someone that. Blue Leader goes in for his attack run, the first person to get very successful in what they're trying to do here. But of course, as he and his two wingmen go down that trench, the shooting stops because there are enemy fighters behind them. Darth Vader and his two wingmen take off the two X-Wings behind Blue Leader, but then Darth Vader's eyes narrow as they fall upon the screen image of Blue Leader himself. He's getting too close to our vulnerable point. You two go back. I shall handle him personally. And so for the sake of clarity of narration and clarity of dialogue and storytelling in the story, we actually have Darth Vader fully aware of the weakness of that exhaust port. So he takes out Blue Leader, and looking down, Luke for the first time feels the true helplessness of his situation. Now there's just himself and Wedge and Biggs. Luke, as any good newbie would, totally takes charge of the situation and calls the other two men to his side to take down the attack run. And the whole issue of Luke taking his uh, targeting off of the computer is handled differently here. Luke Skywalker discovers that one of his key instruments is malfunctioning. Blast, if R2 can't put me back in touch with Computer Central back on Yavin 4, I'll have to aim the proton torpedoes manually. And that's not as accurate as, trust your feelings, Luke. Huh? Who? And he hears Ben Kenobi's voice, which helps him to be calm, confident, contented, and reassured. Maybe Ben Kenobi wasn't killed by Darth Vader's lightsaber after all. Maybe he merged somehow with the Force, and he's here with me in spirit right now. Then maybe there's a chance for us at that, even against Darth Vader and the Death Star. Wedge, Biggs, we're going in full throttle. It'll be just like Beggar's Canyon back home. And I don't know... The novel didn't address the identity of the voice at all. It was really rather strange. He heard the voice, but didn't identify it. The film has the voice very easily recognizable as Obi-Wan Kenobi's voice, but we don't get any explanation. This is the only adaptation so far that actually tells us, or at least, you know, Luke speculates about what actually happened with Obi-Wan Kenobi. And I'm assuming that probably comes from the narration of the screenplay, because in a screenplay, you don't have just the scene descriptions and the dialogue. You also have explanations and narration of what's going on so that the actors and directors can, you know, understand the story they're supposed to tell. So I'm guessing that maybe he used some of that in order to write the information here. As they're flying down the trench, Big's Dark Lighter is targeted by Darth Vader, and he is shot down. A loud, desperate shout sounds over the speakers, blending into a final agonized scream of flesh and metal as Biggs's X-Fighter bursts into a billion glowing splinters that rain down upon the bottom of the night-dark trench. What was it Luke said to Biggs a short eternity ago? You'll always be the best friend I've got. But of course, they have a job to do still. 
However, as he flies down, Wedge gets a malfunction and has to pull away. Darth Vader is getting ready to shoot down the one last remaining X-Wing fighter. However, as he begins to give the order, prepare to fire, one of the three TIE fighters suddenly becomes an expanding cylinder of decomposing debris. And Darth Vader exclaims, By the immortal gods of the Sith! Which I think is a great curse for Darth Vader to exclaim. It is, of course, the arrival of the Millennium Falcon that has caused this. He also flies toward Darth Vader's other wingman, and that TIE fighter veers off course, knocks into Darth Vader's own ship just enough to steer him off course, and Darth Vader warbles and wobbles off into the endless reaches of deep space. But over his headphones, Luke Skywalker hears another familiar voice, Gronk, as Chewbacca says hello. And Han Solo gives his line, You're all clear, kid. Now blow this thing and let's go home. We have an entire page of Luke targeting, flying down the trench, launching the torpedoes down the exhaust port and flying away. Glad you were here to see it. Now let's get some distance before that thing goes supernova. And we get a full page splash of the destruction of the Death Star. It's a giant, white, glowy star of explosionness as the X-Wing fighter flies away into the foreground. It is an amazing piece of art. The X-Wing docks, they do pull out R2 and mention how he was injured, but I don't think we actually saw that happen in the course of the fight. I might have missed it. Leia comes out and says hello to everybody, giving Han a hug. And on the last page of the story, we have the award ceremony with medals being laid over the necks of both Luke and Han. Although not Chewbacca. He got one in the novel, but that's the only place he gets a medal. And next issue, a new adventure of the Star Warriors. Yes, Marvel Comics calls them the Star Warriors. Sorry, it's just the way things are. But, you know, it kind of grows on you after a while even if it's unexpected at first. And that was the adaptation of the Star Wars film for Marvel Comics. Pretty great little read. A terrific adaptation of the film, including a whole lot that wasn't in the actual movie. And to me, that's the best part about adaptations. If adaptations are too faithful to what's on the screen, then it's kind of boring to read. I want a book that will take the story in the film and expand upon it, because I can always just go see the movie. But the movie might not have every scene or every thought that was in the director's and writer's minds, and those could possibly be in the screenplay, and they might make it into the adaptation. And that's why I love renovelizations of films. We do have the letters column back this issue, the Star Words column, and it starts off with a little bit about the release of the film. There's some commentary about just how popular the film has become, what kind of rave reviews it's being given, but then they turn to the plans for the comic book itself, because as promised at the end of the issue, 30 days from this point, another chapter in the Star Wars saga will be laid down by Marvel Comics. Now, Roy Thomas and Howard Chaikin are said to be the team that's going to go forward with it, and it says here that Roy Thomas was given the option to scan over other screenplay material from George Lucas, which he did to see if there was anything he could use for a Star Wars number seven. 
But he says, while the screenplays are fascinating, they seem, if anything, to occur in the months and years before the movie itself. And we're pretty certain that it's really the likes of Luke Skywalker, Princess Leia, Han Solo, and Chewbacca, the droids R2 and 3PO, that everyone wants to see more of. And I think that's kind of interesting, because whenever we see Star Wars, and we see Empire Strikes Back and Return of the Jedi... We are given the impression of a lot of backstory. There was a Clone Wars. There was the fall of the Jedi. There was the changing of Anakin Skywalker to Darth Vader and all of this backstory. And it only makes sense that George Lucas would have written forms of some of that. Whereas a third trilogy, while it might have been in his mind, it was probably the least developed of the three portions of the saga, just because of the necessities of storytelling. So I like the idea that there was some form of what eventually became the prequel trilogy on paper in 1977 that Roy Thomas was able to peruse. Now, as I've said before, what exactly that looked like and what would eventually become probably was not nearly as well developed as we know the story to be now, but that doesn't mean there wasn't something. The solution to all of this is that Roy Thomas got together with George Lucas and Mark Hamill to discuss the direction that he wanted to take the comic. They already had the plots for number seven and a couple more after that laid out, and so they checked it over with George to see if it conflicted with any plans he had for his own film developments. They discussed general directions they could take the strip over the next couple of years, which is why I think we're going to see some plot developments that sort of feed into The Empire Strikes Back. And so the next issue of this comic is going to be giving the first ever sequel to Star Wars the film and Star Wars the comic mag. But I do have to let you know that my coverage next episode is not going to be just this series, but also the very brief comic strip that we see over in Pizzazz magazine. Because while Star Wars the comic book follows the adventures of Han Solo and Chewbacca for a few months, Luke Skywalker and Leia are left to Pizzazz to tell their stories. Now let's see if there's anything interesting in the few letters that we have after all of that discussion. Oh, before I get to the letters, Roy was pleased as a parsec of punch to learn that he is one of the few people in the galaxy who is spelling the word Wookiee correctly with two E's. Although, notably, it was not spelled that way in the novelization. Ian Gadbois was not very pleased with issue number one, but found his opinion raised with issue number two, and part of that was due to the change in artist. Steve Lealoha started doing the inks over Howard Chaikin's pencils, and I myself much, much prefer the style of number two over what we had number one. Michael Blue points out an astronomical error that whenever Han Solo makes a Kessel run in less than 12 parsecs, that is not an expression of time, but an expression of distance. And the editor replies that he would love to give you some sort of answer. We asked George about it, and he says he wrote that line for the film on purpose because he wanted Han Solo to come up as a bit of a bull artist which I think is pretty funny and much better of an explanation than some of the things I've seen since then. Of course, you can't please everybody, and Bill Dickinson comes in on the, ex- on the exact opposite camp with the art, having preferred the first issue over the second. Ruben Toyos compliments the narration of the story of all things. And finally, Matt Holmes comments on the fact that there have already been several film adaptations produced by Marvel Comics, so you might think it'd get monotonous, and yet Star Wars is blowing all his expectations away, and he's planning to see the film twice just on the, based on the quality of the comic. So there is that. Next episode, 
We'll be looking at Pizzazz Magazine number one. There are just a handful of pages of comic in each issue of the magazine. We'll talk more about that next time. And Star Wars issue seven from Marvel Comics. Thank you very much for listening. If you want to send emails, I'll read emails on the air and special email episodes. You can send those to the Star Wars Saga Cast at gmail.com. If you just happen across this episode somewhere randomly, more episodes will be found at the Star Wars or on iTunes under the Star Wars Saga Cast. So, thank you very much for listening, and until next time, my name is John Wilson. Thank you very much for listening to the Star Wars Saga Cast, and good night.